2: Hi, Stephen Piercy from Rat. You're listening to Jay Scott, The Hook Rocks.
1: Welcome back. It's the Hook Rocks. It's Jay Scott. It's the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks for tuning in once again. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. You can catch some of my friends, as I mentioned before every episode, like Tom and Zeus on the great Kiss Podcast. Shout out Loudcast. You can check out Mistress Carrie, the legendary DJ as well on the platform, Martin Popoff, the rock historian. Aaron and Chris on Decibel Geek, And Mac from the Ugly America's Werewolf in London podcast check out all my friends. Don't forget to follow Pantheon Podcast on all social media platforms at Pantheon Pods and their website PantheonPodcast.com. Don't forget to follow the Hook Rocks wherever you podcast and set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. And don't forget to follow us on social media, like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can search us up there on The Hook Rocks. We always appreciate new followers. So hoping that you uh, follow us wherever wherever your social media, wherever your podcast. We've had some great episodes recently over the past couple months. We have Mark Tremonti, Stephen Piercy on our three-year anniversary show. We did our 400th episode with members of the Groove Council. Some great new music spotlights with Broken Love. The Warning, Clay Dieters from The Issue, as well as Georgia Thunderbolts. So check out them as well. Georgia Thunderbolts was on a few months ago. Also, Micah Morris from Fast Eddie was on, too, as well. So check out that great episode. Um, We just had a great live album review doing the UFO album, Strangers of the Night. And we took, took a look back at the legacy of Whitesnake. So, check out that episode as well. We've got another great episode for you today. One of my favorite artists, one of my favorite singer songwriters, one of my favorite rock stars. Um, been following him since the days he was in the biters. He's had some new material out a couple years ago, which I actually love. I actually got like the limited edition EP autograph in the mail, and poof, that was it. We had the lockdown, we had the pandemic, we had all a whole bunch of shit going on. And now he's ready to launch some new music. His new single, Ballad of the Misspent Youth, is out. It kicks ass. It is a uh, coming out swinging type of tune. And i like to welcome Tuck Smith from Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. What's happening, man?
0: Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me back. Stoked to be here.
1: Thank you excited. for doing this, man. I am excited oh, yeah, to talk with you and uh, get into what's been going on the last couple of years. Talk about your new music. So where do we begin I guess uh, let's start with the new single last Friday Ballad of the misspent Youth as I just mentioned came out man it is a, a rocker compared to the stuff that you came out or that you came out with two years ago like looking for love and some of the other stuff that you came out with um, this is a little bit more like right in your face right in your gut punched to your gut it, like I said it's like coming out swinging um, how do you feel about the song?
0: <clears throat> um, you know, I knew that my last record was gonna get uh shelved. And so I wrote this whole record. I actually have another record written too that I did during the pandemic. So I, I wrote a lot of material. And the plan for this release was just I was gonna go record it with my buddy Dan Dixon. He's been my mentor and a partner. Re- producing and recording a lot of bands. And I and I called them and said, hey, man, I got these songs. I just want to go in here and make a pure rock and roll record. There's no label. There's no committee. There's no algorithms. There's no fucking dorks talking about what's hot. There's nothing. I just want to re- record and write the kind of music. Uh, and that's what I felt like doing. So most of the album is straight down the middle rock and roll um you know, there's a, there's some power pop on there and there's a, a ballad and, and things. But for the most part, this has a different vibe than some of that stuff. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, when you're locked in the house for almost fucking two years, like you're not experiencing anything. It was my escape to kind of write. Uh, this is kind of like a, a first part of an album to a concept record just about me growing up and what I've been through and the characters that I've met. So <clears throat> all this stuff is a hundred percent real to me. And it, uh, you know, and I'm, that's important to me. So yeah, I, I'm stoked about it all. You mentioned
1: the album that you had a couple of years ago being shelved. You mentioned <clears throat> being locked in a house for a couple of years. When you think of the frustration, you know, with both situations and not being able to move forward because you can't leave your house we're all under lockdown and kind of having to say you know goodbye to material that is never going to be released got shelved where did that leave you as an artist where did that leave you create you know on the creative side of things
0: if you want me to be completely honest man mentally spiritually it was it was almost the final straw not only is is what was happening in the world during that time uh, hard for anybody to go through in the uncertainty of it and then you stack your career because for me when i had to put biters on hiatus disband it from going from that to recording a record with rob cavallo to getting a, a, a deal this day and age that will sign a rock and roll artist or a band. It's really, really fucking hard. And then to get uh, a stadium tour to me, like to achieve those in that 16 amount of time, I was so focused and dialed in, uh, in every part of my life. And I was so grateful for it and so happy and so excited. And then to prepare myself to go do these things. And then within a month, within a month and a half, you're on lockdown. You know, and then, and then almost two years later, it was devastating, man. I really thought I was very depressed and I thought about quitting music and I wasn't allowed to release more music. I wasn't allowed to, to do anything uh, during that time. And um, I'm grateful that I chose to keep going because there was many times I was like, fuck this. I can't handle it. It was it was too much, man.
1: What was behind the decision to keep going?
0: I don't know. It's just what I've always done. I don't know anything else. I've been in so many bands, and, and they've broke. You know, they've either broken up through uh, drug overdoses or or jail, or you know, me acting like a fucking idiot. And there's just been a lot. I don't know anything else. I don't have any life skills. I don't have any education, uh, formal education. I I just do music. So to me, I was like, I'm gonna write some songs, and. Fortunately, I work in studios and I know people and I can kind of make it happen. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to record an album or release it myself just for the love of it. There was no pressure. And so it's cool that it ended up getting picked up and I signed a new deal and it was accepted. And it's a guitar rock record. And not to keep repeating myself, but it's really hard to get a label or anybody to do a guitar rock record now. So. I'm very, very, very grateful and very humbled by the entire experience. It it was it sucked.
1: When you think of that album that you that had to be shelved versus the new music that's coming out now, is there anything from that album that's going to appear on this new record?
0: No, I'm not allowed to. I you know I had to sign a non disclosure agreement. I can't really. I can talk a little bit about it. I definitely uh don't want to get involved in any kind of lawyer shit or if people are like just release it i'm like it doesn't work that way yeah i i, I don't want to fuck with these lawyers i don't have the money i you know so to me um you know i think there's a recording clause like a re-record clause in a couple years which means i might be able to re-record the songs um so maybe i would do that but you know it's heartbreaking, dude. I busted my ass writing that record and you know to do a record with a producer like Rob Cavallo and some of those people, that's like a <clears throat> that's a dream opportunity. So, I think the record's amazing and uh hopefully something will happen and I can re-record it or re-release it one day. I must have a
1: person that's motivated by getting pissed off, right? Like I, I get more of a fire lit under me when something happens that ticks me off, pisses me off. And I go like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come out swinging. I'm going to come out with something better. I'm going to do something better. Was that, you know, part of like this, this, this creative process for you that said, you know what, fuck it all. I'm just going to put my head down and, and just find myself again and and make some music.
0: Um. <clears throat> I mean kind of yes and no. I wish it was more like that. Honestly, this was just a coping mechanism to get through to take my mind off being stuck in the house. Um there were no like there was no like hate or like fuck these people, I'll show them. I just kind of fucking did it. I just wrote the songs and I recorded it and I'm so, you know, the record that got shelved had session musicians on it. And they were great, but this record had my band on it. So, to me, the most important thing was to surround myself with people that I liked and record the style of music that I loved and do it for no other reason than just the love of it all. Because I had lost track of why I was doing the shit. And when I was on that last label, I had a committee of people and all these things, and it just like, it sucks. So, to me, it's just important at this point to just write and record music for the reason, for the love of it. So yeah.
1: What do you think of the creative process with this album and coming through from a dark place into the light with with new music and, and being creative again? What was the approach for this? Was it different than the previous album? I mean, you mentioned you were playing with your band. You mentioned that. You know, you you had thoughts of leaving music, but was it the same approach? Was it, what was different about making this music?
0: It's a really good question, <clears throat> multifaceted. I'll say mentally, spiritually, where I where I was coming from. Once again, <clears throat> I was just like, if this is the last thing I do, and just re- record it and go fucking work in a factory or whatever, then. It is what it is. I just want to write a collection of fucking ripping songs. No expectations, which is kind of freeing. As far as the daily creative process, I would just sit down at the piano and open my window and look out and just write every day. And I just started, you got a lot of time to reflect <clears throat> on that. And I had a lot of time to do the demos. So I would stay up all night <clears throat> with headphones and I've got, I can record very quietly and program drums so my demos sound like a record the demos almost they're fully produced major productions and so when it came time to record when you know the quarantine was over and I was able we were able to start kind of going back out into the world and having band practice again getting in the room with the guys we already had the template and then we would a- add our different things so it was just really nice it was just a, that part was really nice and very therapeutic. And for some reason, you're right. In retrospect, I was very driven. I'm like, I'm going to write as many fucking songs as I can possible because you know what? I knew that I had to try to beat those songs on my record that got shelved. And I really had to prove to myself that I could do it again. So you're right. There was a fuck you now that I think about it. <clears throat> Is it refreshing?
1: I mean, you've done this now a few times with writers with the original album, now this album. But Is it refreshing for you in this circumstance to kind of have that start over feeling again?
0: I don't know, man. To to be honest, I'm so numb. And there's, I've, you know, I've had some pretty fucked up luck uh, with being in bands and labels and things like that. And I'm not being a victim, I've acted like a fool myself. But to me, at this point, I'm just completely humbled and grateful just to be releasing music again and and have people like it. It's a a, it's a very pure feeling. Um, and I, I do enjoy it. And I love my band and I love the new label and I love the team. And it's all very, very positive, um, which isn't always the case.
1: As far as the music goes on this album, of course, we've heard the first single. When is the album due out?
0: I think the official full album drop is November fourth, but there's going to be two more singles and two videos before that, and uh, a vinyl release and a CD. There's a lot going on, so I've been planning this for like a year. So the next couple months will be jam packed.
1: And did you work with different producers? Was there? Did you do it yourself? <clears throat> you had your partner. You said here, you know, doing some music too as well. What was that process like?
0: Yeah. So. <clears throat> it's weird. You go from making a record with Rob Cavallo and these, you know, one of the biggest studios in the world and the biggest session guys. And so with this record, I went back to where I made, uh, the biters records. It was one of my best friends, Dan Dixon's, and it, it's a converted garage. And, uh, it was like a homecoming. I just felt right at home. And, I was very confident after that last record. I've been working with so many songwriters and producing so many records that I just felt at this point just very, very comfortable and very, very confident in how to kind of achieve what I wanted. So I initially did six songs with Dan Dixon producing with me, co-producing. And then when I got the deal, I recorded two more songs here in Nashville at Marty Fredrickson's studio. He's one of the label owners. And I just self-produced that. It was just me and uh, engineer Evan, which is a great guy in the band. And that was a little more daunting because you always want to have somebody to kind of bounce ideas off. So me just producing the last two songs, that was a challenge. But they turned out really, really great. And I'm super proud. I don't know if I'll just self-produce again. But, um, yeah, one of the next singles will be one of those songs cut in Nashville. And that was cut after the after the first initial songs to make it a full length. You mentioned
1: having your band Mm -hmm. on the record, not being able to tour, putting this band together prior to being able to tour before the pandemic, being in the room with them again, that had to be, that'd be a good feeling, you know, building that synergy with each other, building that connection again, because it had been a while since you guys had been in the same room together. 100%
0: you know I know I keep repeating myself but I was just so grateful that they uh, stuck it out with me you know those guys I put the band together we started playing shows and they were so dedicated and you know they hung around for a year before we got that Motley tour the label one of the one of the things I was having a problem was that last label would not let me tour unless I quote got a shed or stadium size tour even if it took five years, it took me a year to land that tour. So those guys just kind of hung out with me for a whole year. And we, we were all so happy to be able to, because we had an airborne tour we were about to do. And then we we're about to do the Motley Crue tour. And we had some other stuff after that. So they hung out for a year and I was like, awesome. And then boom, there went like two more years. And uh, I told them, I said, hey guys, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to, we're going to do another record. I want to do it. I really want you guys to do it. And they were like, yeah, let's fucking go. Um, and gung-ho. And I, once again, I love my band so much and they're so fucking good. I was thrilled to have them on it. It was awesome getting in the room with them again.
1: When you look back lyrically and you look back music, you know, putting the music down for this record, you know, I often ask the question for someone who, who is the, is the chief songwriter is the head, you know, the, the, the main songwriter in a band, where do you find your inspiration? Is it experience is it through other people is it observation is it something that you know characters that you create in your head is it all the above where do you find your main inspiration for writing
0: a lot of what you said above is true but for for me uh for better or worse my upbringing and some of my lifestyle choices uh it's did a lot of negative to me but it's did a lot of positive for my songwriting because I have a lot of stuff to talk about. I've got a lot of characters that I've met and a lot of fucking crazy, interesting people um, to write about um, a very wild, wild life. Not so much anymore because I'm just hyper focused on, on my career and making up for lost time. But I'm very, very lucky that I was able to sit in the house and have endless things to write about uh for two years. So yeah. And it's good. It means more when, you know, I'm not just going, let's write about a relationship where a guy broke your heart. Like I don't have to do that, thankfully. Um, And I know a lot of songwriters just make up common topics or situations. Um, But for me, I don't have to do that. And it's awesome. When this album comes out in November, you got two more singles
1: coming out before that. Are there tour plans for you to to get this out on the road again?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of tour plans right now. And I'm negotiating some dates. And I'm kind of being, you know, touring is a lot harder than it was pre-pandemic, especially with the cost of everything. Um, Just gas and food and the cost of touring is unbelievable now. So I'm kind of being a little more picky on touring than I was before, a little more selective. But, yeah, there's going to be a lot of touring.
1: For sure. You you also did some producing, you know, while you were creating this album too as well. I had Micah from Fast Eddie on. Yeah, I love Micah. Love that album, and the way he described, you know, learning about you, getting to know you, staying at your house during the recording of the album, you know, he absolutely raved about you. Um, it's nice to see when bands connect like that and kind of have that that group of, of bands and, and musicians that kind of feed off of each other and kind of work with each other.
0: Oh yeah. I love those guys in fast Eddie. Um, <clears throat> because I'm in a band and I've been in dysfunctional bands and I've seen every aspect of it for me producing, you know, you're doing the technical aspect of the song craft and getting the kick patterns, right. And getting, the sound, right, and the vocal melody, but you're also dealing with personalities and inner drama and <laughs> inner turmoil and fighting and crying and people staying up all night or whatever it is. And it's, uh, I love it all, man. And that record turned out really good. And those guys busted their ass on that record. I put them through boot camp. I put a lot of bands through boot camp that, um, I produce because I tell them if it's not going to be great, I don't want to fuck with it. And, my mentors whooped my ass. They really whooped my ass. So I learned from that, like the school of hard knock rock and roll. Who are some of
1: your mentors in, in terms of producing?
0: Uh, Dan Dixon is is one of my mentors. The guy who I did my record. He's really, um, he's taught me a lot about uh, engineering and producing and things. And another guy named Nico Constantine, which he produces and manages the band Starbenders. I love those um, guys. Yeah. We we still talk. He, he's very early on. And then like people like Scott Stevens, he's a songwriter that I know and I wrote with him and just kind of learning from him, the way he's so driven and will work past the point of fatigue to get the song right and to watch. And when I went and started writing with some of these songwriters Uh, It was very educational experience. And even just, you know, I wrote a song with Butch Walker and we only did it in one day. But to me, like just learning how they work and how great and how fast and fluid they are at it is very inspiring. So you you take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of this. Um, And then the other aspect is when I was. um, When I started biters, I wanted to be very, very tight and I would drill sergeant the fuck out of that band. And I was really hard on the band and really hard on myself and retrospect a little too hard because I wanted to be perfect live. Um, so, yeah, I did the hours in the rehearsal space, in the van and in the studio. So you kind of pull a little bit from it.
1: I love when I talk to a musician who's been in that studio setting and there's that producer that pushes them. And, you know, I've, I've heard some musicians say I've gone home gotten in the shower after recording and almost like broke down because you're trying to create and you think something works and you're being told it doesn't. It's something that you fell in love with, that you wrote. But at the end of the day, the producer is usually right, you know, because they could hear stuff that maybe you're too close to and, and you've, you've become too connected to it or too personal to it. It's become too personal to you. And then having that voice in that room that pushes you. A lot of bands today, a lot of newer bands make that mistake of not having someone in the room that says, no, it should sound like this. It shouldn't be like that. You know, having friends in the room or people that don't want to tell you that eh, it could be better is really a detriment to the band. So when I hear those stories of being pushed and, like you said, going through boot camp, it's really. It's interesting to hear when an artist can open themselves up to that and, and see that path forward rather than kind of just be isolated and kind of be in that box and not want to go out of it.
0: I agree a hundred percent. And I've been guilty of what I'm about to talk about right now is a lot of musicians, in my experience, surround themselves with a bunch of yes people that kind of feed their ego. And it creates this delusional reality. And that, and that's not good. So when I started working with some of these people that were, that were my mentors and things, they're like, oh, this song sucks. You're pitchy as fuck. That is wrong. As much as it sucked, I wanted to be better. So I absorbed it. And I really studied about it. And <clears throat> even if a band gets mad at me or doesn't like me that I work with, I guarantee you they take, they'll tell you they took home some stuff and learned and applied it to their next batch of songs. And so to me, it's just like paying it forward. Somebody showed me and I, and I show them because I love rock and roll so much. It's been my whole life, the subculture of it, touring the records, the fashion, the recording that there's a very, very small rock and roll scene. And I love to work with those bands and I want it to be great because I want kind of authentic rock and roll to have more of a chance. And to me, it's really got to be good, really good to kind of break through all the noise today.
1: You know, the music or being a musician really has two parts to it. You've got the creative part where you're making music, you're writing songs, and then you've got that, that back end, that, that business side, you know, the the side that really no musician wants to deal with. And you, most musicians just want to create. They don't want to manage their social media. They just want to write songs. They want to do all that stuff. As you've grown in this business, if you've you know logged the years that you have, what are some of the things that you've learned just by experience on that business side unrelated to the creative side?
0: I would like to think that my rock and roll heroes – all they had to do was worry about being creative. I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure. There, there. With social media, is taken up so much time. If you want to do it, every label, every person's like, you got to be on TikTok, and you got to post on TikTok, and it's got to be this. And so, what's happened is most of these artists are having their songs written for them, uh, which there's no problem with that. Would there be the Bowies or the Kurt Cobains? Would they exist today with social media if they were spending all their time doing silly TikTok shit all day? Because I guarantee you from Paul Stanley to Kurt Cobain to whoever the fuck, they spent a lot of time perfecting their craft, writing songs and experiencing life to give them this vibe like, I Guarantee you, David Bowie was bullied like fucking school, and I guarantee you, Paul Stanley was fucking ah, singing all the time trying to get good. Um, so to me, I think it's kind of been detrimental to the craft of it all, but it's also left open an opportunity for you to connect with your fans. I'm friends with Michael DeBars and Cheap Trick, uh, Rick Nielsen. And see these other people that are kind of like my heroes on social media. I would never be able to do that pre-social media, right? So there are these beautiful upside things, and I can just post and get my stuff out to a lot of people. But what I've learned is nowadays you have to wear many, many hats if you're gonna do it. You gotta know how to do social media. You gotta know how to write. You should kind of know how to record a little bit to get your ideas down. You gotta know how to book your own shows, how to order your own merch. You got to know how to kind of do all of it if you want to have a chance. And you see a lot of really driven musicians that are recording and producing their own music, designing all their artwork, branding their own brand, doing their social media, shooting their own videos, editing their own videos. And I don't know if there's been an era where people were doing that. And that's kind of rad. But I don't know if people are spreading themselves too thin. It's just the times we live in.
1: You talked about writing music with other people. One of the stories that I've heard while doing this podcast over the last three years was there was an artist that talked about a writing session in Nashville that he was invited to for, a, for a country star. Yeah. So he brought his guitar. He brought, you know, got in a room, <laughs> get this guitar out of the case, looked up and he's the only one with an instrument in the room. Yeah. And, uh, there's a guy on a computer they called the Beats guy. Yeah. And he looked at the artist. He's like, I'm not kind of down with this. This is kind this is not how I create. I, you know, I kind of run through riffs, try to find a riff, try to find a vibe. And and uh, I don't use a computer when I'm writing music. And it was an (laughs) eye opening experience for him because. He's in Nashville, Music City. Not expecting to have a beat guy across the, the the writing circle. And here he was, and he's like, where's this all going? And I just read an article uh, yesterday that there is an AI rapper, an artificial intelligence rapper that just got signed to a record deal. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is happening to to the music business right now?
0: Your guess is as good as mine at this point. I'm just like, whatever is happening, I can't control it. I can only control what I do. But I will say as far as songwriting sessions, I've been in <clears throat> many and I've written with other people quite a bit. And they're all different. And to be honest, man, there's not as much money in budgets. And if you don't have a real drummer in the room, fuck yeah, throw down an artificial drum loop. It's fine. Um, if it's a way to get a great song, I'm cool with it. But uh, yeah, I've been in some I've pulled up to a songwriting session and brought a guitar and they were like, oh shit, he brought a guitar. That's awesome. Nobody's ever brought a guitar to a songwriting session. Um, So yeah, it does happen, man. I don't operate that way because it wasn't how I learned, but um, it's a fucking free for all, man. And I do know that artists are getting signed off TikTok just for dressing up like a cosplay kind of thing and covering other artists and going viral and actually getting record deals. Um, and then having a team of great writers coming in and write for them. It is what it is. I could bitch about it or just say, fuck it. I like writing songs too. You know? So <clears throat> it's just wild out there, man. I
1: think there there will always be a place for authenticity, for organic creation. You know, I've talked about this a few times on the show that when I was growing up, once a week we had music appreciation class where we would learn about everything from classical music to Gregorian chant to folk music to blues to jazz, all that stuff, and we understood that the instruments were real, whether it was, you know, the horn section, whether it was guitar, piano, whatever it was. And I think the fact that it's lacking in in schools today where kids don't understand that instruments are played and you have to practice in order to be good. You know, I'm so proud of my 17 year old son. He plays guitar and he's playing his guitar two, three hours a day in his room, just practicing. And you can hear him, you know, he probably doesn't want me to hear him, but I hear him swearing and, cussing under his breath when he can't figure out a lick or can't figure out a riff, yeah. but he keeps working at it. He doesn't give up on it. And I think, you know, what we just talked about with those, those, you know, those drum loops and the, the drum beats. Yeah. that That's going to be there and it's going to be there even more. But I also think there is going to be a place for that authentic, organic creation of music.
0: I mean, yes to me, I have to program a lot of drums for demos and it is, it's a skill set unto its own. It's a huge pain in the ass to learn how to do that. So <clears throat> more power to the people that make beats and everything. It's just a different type of creation and, you know, bands like the Beatles, they were using the most cutting edge shit. If they were around today, they would probably be rapping with auto tune and using drum beats. Um, so to me to each his own there's a way to fit in there's something very very soothing about sitting down and playing an instrument and almost have that meditation of just being in the moment for that long right human beings need that kind of release of being in the moment um it's super healing it's like moving meditation um So, yeah, I think people are always going to be attracted to playing real instruments because it does give you a kind of release from everyday life. But as far as the state of music and what's going to trend and what's going to happen and if people want authentic shit, I have no idea because a lot of the stuff that's popular today, I can't tell if it's an SNL skit or not. I literally can't tell the difference if it's a parody of itself or not. Um. It's fucking wild, especially the last couple of years. Or I can't tell if it's like a Disney show or some shit. I don't know, man. Well,
1: it's also that instant gratification too as well. You know, those those clips on TikTok or the reels on Instagram where it's a short snippet of something because people's attention spans are so short and, and they can't sit with something for a while and listen to, you know... I mean, can you imagine if Pink Floyd released Dark Side of the Moon with 10 minute, 13 minute songs or Zeppelin releases Achilles Last Stand, you know, in this generation? how It that would, would never happen. Over? Yeah,
0: it would never happen. That's why I write straight down the middle. If rock and roll has any chance today, you can't do seven minute songs. You, you can't right now. You need to do if you want any kind of commercial success or an audience or make a living, you got to give them the fucking hits. You got to give them it as soon as they hear it. It's got to sound good and it's got to pull you in, Um, which to me, I'm fine with. I love a hooky, straightforward song. Um, It's one of those things, man. Like, there's many ways to do things. Um, I don't really want to be a TikTok star. I think it's goofy as fuck because it doesn't fit my personality, but it might fit somebody else's personality and they love it, and it's genuine and authentic to them, and they get viral, more power to them. That's just not my path. I'd rather tour and gain a fan base and a, and a cult following and play with bands that I love. And There's just separate ways to do that. Um,
1: I know. think also we we become too reliant on that algorithm that you mentioned in the early part of the conversation where you've got these TikTok videos, you've got the social media presence, and yeah, you know, people are tuning into it. I think a lot of people tune in for curiosity. I don't know how that translates to them purchasing a song or following, you know, a person if they become a pop star or rap star or whatever. I think it's more based on curiosity because I've never had the experience where I've seen something on TikTok or a quick Facebook video or whatever and searched that out and wanted to go buy that. Um, and I think. On the business side, people think that there's there's a connection to it. And maybe there is with certain genres of music. But I also think the algorithm is missing people like myself and other music fans who want to go to a live show, who want to see, see authentic, organic, created music. I think that algorithm is missing a huge contingency of fans out there. Because when you think of new rock and emerging rock bands – There's a whole slew of great bands that are out there, but they have to do all these things, jump through all these hoops, you know, jump over these hurdles in order to get in this certain algorithm in order for them to get noticed when, if it's good, it should be noticed. It should be, it should be appreciated. It should be, there should be a want to market it and get it out to people.
0: I don't think that a lot of the musicians and artists that I love would ever have a chance today because they just wouldn't do TikTok they would choose choose another another path cuz it it's not for everybody it's a very disney a very disney feel to it um the whole thing and not everybody is like that like if you took a songwriter like Bruce Springsteen or something i just don't s- see him doing that i don't see a lot of People do. It. I think Mark Boland would probably be great at TikTok. He'd be dressing up and kissy kissy and all this stuff. So yeah, th- there's there's some people that would do it. But I will say this: TikTok drives the music industry right now. It's no longer Spotify. TikTok is the number one driver. It's where labels go. Bands are getting signed. Artists are getting signed up TikTok. Vice just put out an incredible mini documentary about TikTok. And they actually did all the analytics and research to find out if artists that went viral on TikTok that got signed actually had sustainable careers. And a large number of them are selling out shows and have a, a rabid fan base.
3: That's and incredible.
0: labels are labels are scouring TikTok for the next artists. Um, and it's absolutely fucking horrifying. It's horrifying. Um, but it is what it is. I, I do TikTok, man. I do like some cover songs and post my stuff, but some of the stuff that's like trending and following trends and things like that, it's just not appealing to me and it feels disingenuous. Um, but once again, that's my personal opinion. I think if you enjoy it, then fucking go for it.
1: Hearing your story, hearing about this album, where it came from, you know, that we hear, <laughs> we hear the, the quotes like there's beauty in the chaos and out of something bad, something good happens. When you think of where you are today and you think of the last two years, all the disappointment, all the, the, you know, the starting over, are you okay with where you're at today?
0: No, I'm not okay with it. I don't think I'll ever be satisfied. it's just like a personality flow of mine. I will say this. I told about last year during the winter, I made a deal with myself. I said, if I can get back to where I was pre-pandemic, then I can do anything. And I've almost gotten everything I had. The only thing I'm missing is is a major tour. And to me, I keep the faith and stay a believer and stay positive because the other option of being depressed and feeling like a victim and being negative, I've been there. It sucks, dude. I've been there a lot. It's a horrible way to live. At this point, uh, even if I'm living in a fantasy world, I would rather do that. So to me, yeah, I am happy that I'm still able to make music and that I have a great band and that I'm not addicted to drugs or I'm not in jail. And then you know, I'm very, yes, I'm very happy that I get to work with other artists and my experience and some of my peers in this industry. It is a beautiful thing. So, yes, I am happy, but I'm not satisfied.
1: When you think of this album, this music, if you were to put it in diary entry form, what would it say?
0: rephrase that rephrase that question if you were to extrapolate right,
1: if 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 you look at your music like a diary entry right and you look at each record as being a point in time for you with this album coming out and the album that you recorded the music recorded at if it was a diary entry what would it say on those pages
0: i don't know I mean, that's a really good question. It would probably be the lyrics of the songs. Uh, You know, a lot of these songs have to do. They're written like a diary. One of, you know, one of my best friends in the world. uh, True. I just he was my best friend. I loved him. He committed suicide right before the pandemic. And I was able to write a song about it like a diary entry that's in here. I was able to write about
2: uh,
0: my relationship with, with biters and some other people, you know, it's in metaphorical form, but this album is almost like a a diary journal entry. It's just journal journal entry, but it's just written in song form.
1: As it goes to that, what you just mentioned and having these experiences that you've had, the creative process, writing music, how much of it did affect the new music that's on the new album?
0: In what way? The sound or lyrically? The, or?
1: To- the tone and lyrically. Because really tone is more of a subconscious thing, right? Like you have all these experiences being locked down, you know, having your record shelved, losing a tour, all that stuff. And you start picking up your guitar and you've, you're playing different you're playing with a harder tone a much edgier tone because subconsciously that's what you're feeling right so it can happen both lyrically and tone wise
0: yeah you know i think i'm pretty good at making feel good music with fucked up lyrics if if you ever read my lyrics like what kind of love is not a love song no at all and a lot of people are like hell yeah what kind of love baby and i'm like it's not it's just under fucking you know uh blackman turner overdrive chords that make it feel like a party so to me i am conscious of no matter how deep or sad or fucked up my lyrics are i usually put it in a body of like something that's gonna smash live because what I do am attracted about rock and roll is the energy and the in the time of it ballad of a Misspent youth is not a it's not a celebratory song. it feels like an anthem, but uh it's not again it's not celebratory so to me um it's the dichotomy of that that I dig. Do you
1: like putting that together where it it sounds you know, anthem ish. It sounds like a good time, but the lyrics are going off in a different direction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where do you get that? Where
1: do you get that influence from?
0: You know, like one of my favorite bands is, is kiss, right? But I didn't live like them, so I don't have their experiences. So as much as I like their riffs, I could never sing their lyrics. And, um, as far as a lot of rock and roll, it's very, very, very shallow. To me, I'm attracted to a lot of like songwriter, songwriters, songwriters. Like, I'm very attracted to the Tom Petty's and the Bruce Springsteen's and the 70s Bob Seger's and those kind of lyricists. So to me, the lyricism is a big part. But as you know, a lot of bonehead rock and roll, the lyrics are just throwaway. Yeah, come on, baby, baby. Give me love, you you know what I mean, which is fine. But to me, I've always like wanted to try to put those kind of lyrics in with the the big rock. So um, yeah, it's just something I dig.
1: I think of Phil lineup, too with his writing style.
0: Want, my favorite, yes, he is probably my of course. You can hear in everything yeah. I've done. Yeah, he is. I love Phil line. I am. I feel such like a connection with him. Uh, his lyrics. Um, the way he makes me feel his music. Yeah. He, he's my favorite lyricist. I've always liked
1: that perspective that he gives that storytelling, uh, type of structure in his lyrics. And then you hear the music, then Lizzie and it's, you know, you can dance to it. You can, you can, you know, it's, it's got that same type of vibe that you try, that you do with your music. Um, you know, having that, you know, like you said, what kind of love or or looking for love is 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 kind of that same type of vibe. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's interesting uh, to kind of hear that perspective with uh, with your music, with your creative process. So you've got two new singles coming out. When's
0: the next one? I got three, and then the album drop. Yeah. Okay. So I think in five weeks the next video and single will come out.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. And it's totally different. It's a big, glammy, piano, ballad, epic, Bowie, kind of like, it's, people are like, wow, this is totally different.
1: That's awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Anything else you could talk about, too? Playing out soon, or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I'm working on a bunch of shows, so... my i'm about to launch the pre-order for the album and a bunch of merch and all that going on so there's a lot of great stuff coming um and yeah thanks for having me on the show again buddy sorry we started talking about tiktok that sucks <laughs> hey man
1: no it's it's great <laughs> i i did not know some of the things that you were telling me and i'm just you know between what you told me about tiktok and reading the article about the ai rapper that got signed to a record deal yesterday my world has just gone to shit.
0: <laughs> well, don't, don't worry about me. I'm putting out an organic rock and yes. roll album,
1: so yes. Chuck, yes. it's been a blast, man.
0: Yeah, buddy, you should get. Um, I just produced a record for this band called Ravagers. It's Matt from Biter's. Okay. You should have one of you should have one of them on the show. Uh, the record is great. People are loving it. So
1: I will check that out. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah of course, of course.
1: Everyone, that's Tuck Smith. Great conversation. Always a joy when he's on. Go get his new single or find his new single wherever you do stream. Uh, Ballad of a Misspent Youth. Look forward to his new album coming out in November and the singles that will precede it. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks.
2: Talk about you, baby The lips are moving, but I don't know what to say